In this episode, I will be reading chapter 6. Put your mind to rest. Take a deep breath through your nose. Hold it. Relax every, everything in your body while exhaling slowly. Another deep breath through the nose. Hold it. Release over every bone in your body. Feel yourself sinking into the bed and listen to the story as it unfolds. Chapter 6 June 5 A Hospital in Washington The hospital Sarah was sent to was no more than an extra-large tent set up under some trees on open land near the city. There were several of these tents within eye distance, and so it was that on a hot day under a sky hung with clouds, privates Nettie Compton and Jimmy Cowles reported to the assistant surgeon of hospital tent number five. The first trouble had come to the army of the Podomac, even before the first battle. Typhoid fever. Already, five men from the second Michigan were stricken. Sarah's job, she'd been told, was to see to them make sure they aren't slackers but really sick and as soon as they can stand on their feet have them report back to duty she was to find the assistant surgeon and give him this note colonel fenton had told her he handed her the note give it to no one else but him Fenton ordered. Sarah found the assistant surgeon. He was the only one, besides two male nurses, in the tent hospital at mid-morning when they got there. His name was Dr. William Hammond. He was a tall man with a long, thin nose, a high forehead, a full beard and a scant amount of hair on the back of his head. And he looked to Sarah, skittish, as if he were being pursued. He read the note and glanced down at her, or rather, at Private Neddy. Slackers, he said, Apparently your commander knows nothing about typhoid. He gestures to the men 
lying on cots, at least twenty-five in the tent. And if he did, he'd make sure the men used the latrines instead of relieving themselves all over the ground, and that they don't drink water from the nearby stream. All the camps are contaminated with this heat. That's what causes typhoid, and there's no slackers here. He was angry. Sarah felt herself blush, then say, "Yes, sir. You can see to the men of the Second Michigan in fifteen minutes. What are your orders for the rest of the day?" I have none, sir. Well, you do now. Every time it rains, the water floods the floors in here. The drains outside the tent need to be dug deeper. You look like a strong lad from a farm. Yes, sir. Michigan. Good. Then you know about chickens. Chickens, sir. Yes. Then he gave a sharp whistle. And out of nowhere appeared a small black boy, with a bucket of water, and a ladle. One of the many who've already come to us across rebel lines, he explained. Then, to the boy, Nubin, I want you to go with Private Compton this afternoon to the places I usually send you for food. You understand. You're to show Private Compton the right houses. Yes, the boy was no more than eight years old, ragged and bright-eyed. They expect us to give men who have been struck by the sun, or with high fevers, pork, hard bread, and coffee. He said to Sarah. I need chickens, bottles of blackberry wine, lemon syrup, jellies, brandy, groceries, even ice. You'll pack the ice in that straw over yonder. Newbin knows where to beg for such supplies. Beg, sir? Sarah asked. Yes, Private. We beg. The ladies of Washington are most. Generous, if you present them with a proper face and tell them of my need, the ones Newbin will take you to know me and have been generous to a fault. One is a doctor's wife. His name is Doctor Cornelius Boyle. If she isn't home, she'll be at his nearby drugstore. She should be good for a dozen bottles of blackberry wine, and at least six of lemon syrup. The clergyman's wife should be good for the chickens, and so forth. He handed Sarah a list of names and addresses. Just a moment. He walked to the middle of the tent, where a board table stood. On it sat a number of books and medicines. Sarah noted the clean wooden plank 
flooring the clean ticking on the cots, the folded supply of sheets and blankets. When he came back, he handed her a floppy straw farmer's hat and a clean handkerchief. Wear the hat out in the streets, he said. It isn't regulation, sir. In one stroke, he took the blue union cap from Sarah and replaced it with the floppy straw one. It is now. I don't need another case of sunstroke. And when you visit the men from the second Michigan, don't get too close. And mask your face with this. He handed her the handkerchief. She noted the initial H in the corner. It must be his own, she decided. Have yourself some lemonade and biscuits. You should be back here by four o'clock, no less. Don't make any stops except those that Newbin tells you. Yes, sir. And give that mule some water before you leave. He gestured to the mule, pulling her wagon. Sarah did, as he said, thinking that if all the union doctors were like this man, the union was in good hands. With Nubin beside her on the wagon seat, they started off for the streets of Washington. They drove past numerous hillsides with white tents past the Washington Canal and the unfinished Washington Monument where the army's horses and cattle grazed and onto Pennsylvania Avenue and Center Market where you could smell the fish being sold in the rare. There were soldiers everywhere, camping, walking, guarding, drilling. They passed dozens of Negro's buildings, fortifications, and in the distance, supply trains moving slowly. My poppy works there, Newbin said, pointing at the fortification. He told Sarah they'd been in Washington since the firing on Sumter. We got through the lines when the canoe was firing, he said. The streets were sultry, dusty and smelly. Overhead the sky brooded, threatening rain. When they came on quality houses, the houses were shuttered against the heat. In front of the unfinished capital, Sarah could see muddy, almost swampy stretches of land. They passed groggeries, from which came hurdy-gurdy music in the middle of the day, shanties where whole families dwelled. The city was an unfinished nightmare, she decided, and home to every drifter 
outlander, mischief maker, and would be it could hold. This be C Street, Newbin told her. From here on to Washington Circle, there be some quality houses. This be where our people at. Sarah checked her list. True to Newbin's word, the addresses were handsome brick houses on C Street and Washington Circle. Here, there were trees, wooden sidewalks, wrought iron fences and flowers. Stop here, Newbin said in front of a pink brick house with cream-coloured shutters and window boxes. Sarah drew the mule to a halt. This be Dr. Boyle's, Newbin told her. You go to the front door and beg proper like. Sarah got out of the wagon, brushed off her uniform trousers, took the straw hat off her head and put on the proper blue union cap. Then went up the steps to use the huge brass knocker. She had never begged for anything in her life, but when the door opened and the white apron't maid stood there, frozen of face and grim of lip, Sarah took off her cap and made a little bow. Ma'am, I come in the name of Dr. William Hammond. He remembers your mistress's past kindness and said we are in desperate need of some blackberry wine and lemon syrup for the men in this hospital. The woman scowled at Sarah. Where's the little coloured boy who always comes? Then the wagon, ma'am. My name's Private Neddie Compton of the Second Michigan. Wait here. The woman disappeared into the cool, dark recesses of the house. Sarah heard a piano tinkling and smelled coffee and fresh baked bread from somewhere within. She caught a glimpse of carpets, a curved banister, and felt the ache of missing a home. Beds, she thought. Clean sheets. A tub or not. A kitchen stove. The loss cut inside her like a knife. Within minutes, the woman reappeared with a crate that held six bottles of blackberry wine, two of lemon syrup and a brown jug. Some lemonade for you both, she said. I'm beholden, ma'am. So is Dr. Hammond. Don't mind me, the woman said. I'm sorry, the maid, and closed the door in Sarah's face. They spent the afternoon making their way slowly from house to house. Ice lost, 
Newman told her. So, it don't melt. And when they picked up the ice from the lost house, and she saw how carefully he wrapped it in straw and put on old parasols that the lady had given him, she thought he had more brains than any soldier she'd met yet in the army of Potomac, with the exception of Dr. Hammond. As they were returning to the hospital, an elegant carriage stopped on the other side of Pennsylvania, and the driver beckoned to Sarah. You there, private. Sarah halted the mule. My mistress would speak to you. At that moment, the shade went up in the carriage, and a woman of mid-age with a perky silk bonnet, poked her head out the window. Private, are you collecting food for the hospitals? Yes, ma'am, Sarah answered. I've seen your companion, the little coloured boy before. Come here, I've something for you. Sarah hesitated. Remembering Dr. Hammond's don't make any stops except those that Newbin tells you. She glanced at Newbin sitting behind her in the bed of the wagon. Five chickens clutched nervously in a wire cage. Newbin shrugged. That's Mrs. Greenhow, he said. Who is she? lives on 16th Street, knows everybody's portent in this town, has lots of parties. My ma sometimes helps out when she does. Well, it must be all right then. Sarah hopped down from the wagon and quickly ran to the elegant carriage. The door opened and the woman, Nubinet called Mrs. Greenhow, held out a bottle of sparkling wine. My regards to Dr. Hammond, she said. You know him, ma'am? Sarah asked. I know him. There isn't much that goes on in this town that I don't know. Dr. Hammond was an assistant surgeon years ago in the army before he became a professor at the University of Maryland. With the war, he rejoined the army at the very bottom of the list of assistant surgeons. It is no credit that the army of Potomac, that they keep him in such a low position. Sarah took the wine, thanked the woman, and went back to the wagon as the elegant carriage drew away. The way Mrs. Greenhow had recited the history of Dr. Hammond seemed a bit strange, almost as if she had memorised it. But then, Sarah and Newbin were taken with getting back to the hospital before the ice melted 
and she forgot all about the woman. That night, the clouds finally broke. The rain came down in torrents. And Dr. Hammond had the nurses who were all male put on oil skins and scoop dirt out the drains outside his tent hospital so the water wouldn't flow into the inside. When the wind blew with near the force of a hurricane, he was right there with them, helping them to hold down the ropes and tent poles so the canvas wouldn't blow away and expose the sick soldiers to the elements. About midnight, the rain and wind stopped. The moon came out and fragments of clouds moved slowly by to reveal the stars. Dr. Hammond made those who had worked outside get out of their wet clothing, wrap themselves in blankets and take some of the chicken soup that had been made for two of the chickens brought back that afternoon. Sarah busied herself visiting the men from the second Michigan until the other young men who'd worked outside stepped behind some crates to shed their wet clothing, then strung it on ropes near the pot-bellied stove in the middle of the hospital. She waited so long that Dr. Hammond scolded her. Private Compton, you want typhoid? No, sir. Then get out of those wet clothing. Sarah stepped behind the crates and wrapped some blankets around herself, bringing them up close under her chin. Dr. Hammond gave her a queer look. It isn't that cold, he said. She took her soup and went to a corner to sit down by herself and eat it. It was very good. Sadly, all good things must come to an end. So, I bid you good night, sleep tight, and don't let the bed bugs bite.